0: Hello, season's greetings, and welcome to The Turbulent World with James Dorsey. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's far-right Jewish nationalist ultra-conservative coalition government threatens to put the Jewish state on a collision course with diaspora Jewry and could weaken or undermine a pillar of Israeli national security unquestioned US support. The looming crisis with two of Israel's crucial constituencies, the United States and diaspora Jewry stems from Mr. Netanyahu's embrace of the far right and willingness to sidestep the rise of anti-Semitism among Christian nationalists and evangelicals, two groups that constitute the mainstay of U.S. grassroots support for Israel. With the announcement of his government, Mr. Netanyahu rejected suggestions by prominent Israelis and American Jews, including Dan Kurtzer, a former U.S. ambassador to Israel and Egypt, to form a coalition of center-left parties. The alliance would cancel the prime minister's trial on corruption charges to keep the far-right out of power. Some Israeli analysts argue that was never an option because Mr. Netanyahu is a changed man. Haaretz columnist Amir Tibon said the 73 year old Likud leader is no longer the responsible adult in the room that he was perhaps a decade ago when he rejected calls from within his own party to weaken Israel's judiciary. He has adopted a conspiratorial worldview, leads a party that has shifted dramatically to the right, and is completely beholden to Israel's ultra. He has adopted a conspiratorial worldview, leads a party that has dramatically shifted to the right, and is completely beholden to Israel's ultra-orthodox politicians who have grand plans to turn Israel into a more fundamentalist and less democratic society. Mr. Betanyahu is betting that his pledge not to govern based on Jewish religious law and tighten Israeli cooperation with the United States against China will appease the Biden administration and his Jewish critics. That is likely a slippery slope at best. Moreover, compounding potential upsets in Israel's foreign relations is a potential crisis in dealings with Egypt and Jordan, the two Arab states that initially concluded peace treaties with the Jewish state, if members of the new government act on their promises. Incoming National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Vir, the leader of the Jewish Power Party, promised that one of his first acts would be to visit Jerusalem's Temple Mount or Haram al-Sharif and authorize Jewish prayer on the site. Such moves would infuriate Jordan, the custodian of the Muslim holy sites. At the same time, Avi Maoz, the minister in charge of shaping Jewish identity, has described Egypt as an enemy state. A Jordanian-Palestinian newspaper editor noted, that over the years, the power of the Palestinians to motivate Arab public opinion has greatly eroded. The only place that perhaps can still produce protest is the Temple Mount. It is also Jordan's weak spot. And when ties between Netanyahu and the Jordanian king are far from friendly, the king will have to rely on other Arab leaders and the United States to calm the Israeli government. To position itself as the Arab country with the most influence in Israel and a potential facilitator between the Netanyahu government, Palestinians, and other Arab countries, the United Arab Emirates, the Arab state that spearheaded the recognition in 2020 by Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan, took a different tack. It became, together with Bahrain, the first nation to legitimize Mr. Ben-Gvir, by inviting him even before the formation of the Netanyahu government to attend a national day celebration at its embassy in Tel Aviv. Days later, UAE Ambassador Mohammed al-Khaja visited religious Zionism leader Bezalel Smotrich, another far-right Netanyahu coalition partner in his office in Jerusalem. The outright signaled that it would be business as usual after the UAE had initially unsuccessfully sought to convince Mr. Netanyahu not to include Mr. Ben Veer in his cabinet. Changing tax, the UAE has opted to bet on sustaining its past accomplishment of stopping Mr. Netanyahu from implementing some of his most provocative policies. In 2020, the UAE successfully made its recognition of Israel conditional on Mr. Netanyahu dropping plans to annex parts of the West Bank. The UAE in Bahrain's engagement with the Israeli far right acknowledges Israeli political trends, but sits uncomfortably with the divergence and attitudes of diaspora Jews and Israelis towards Israeli occupation of Palestinian lands and Palestinians, and non-Jews' concerns about the new Israeli government. Ties to diaspora Jewry are a pillar of Emirati soft power. American Jews expressed a critical view of Israel in a poll on the eve of the November 2022 U.S. midterm elections. 68% supported placing restrictions on U.S. aid to Israel to prevent it from being used to expand Israel's occupation of the West Bank. The poll contrasted starkly with a hardening of attitudes towards Palestinians and an increasing rejection of a two-state solution by Israeli Jews. Instead, Israeli Jews, according to Yuval Noah Harari, one of Israel's most prominent public intellectuals, embrace the notion of a three-tiered class system with Jews on top of the societal pyramid in a swath of land that stretches from the Mediterranean coast to the Jordan River. The three tiers are Jews who have all the rights, some Arabs who have some rights, and other Arabs who have very little or no rights. And this is increasingly the situation on the ground. And this is increasingly also the aspiration or the mindset of even people in government, Mr. Harari said. Mr. Harari's assessment would legitimize assertions by Israeli and international human rights groups that Israel is embracing a system of apartheid that is borne out by the ambitions of Netanyahu's coalition partners. Finance Minister Smotrich's Religious Zionism Party, for example, aims to impose Israeli sovereignty over the West Bank and for Israel to be governed by the laws of the Torah. In addition, it calls for disbanding the Palestinian Authority and expelling Palestinians disloyal to Israel in what would amount to ethnic cleansing. Mr. Ben-Gvir has expressed support for Rabbi Meir Kahane an American-born ultra-nationalist writer and politician who founded the Jewish Defense League that called for expelling Israel's Palestinian citizens and banning sex between Jews and non-Jews. Mr. Kahane was sentenced to five years in prison in the United States on terrorism charges. He was assassinated in 1990 while speaking to an Orthodox audience in Brooklyn by an Egyptian-born American citizen. Mr. Benvir, who in 2007 was convicted on charges of incitement to, to violence and support of a terrorist organization, also spoke positively about Baruch Goldstein, a West Bank settler who killed 29 Palestinians and wounded 125 more when he attacked a mosque in 1994. A picture of Mr. Goldstein long adorned Mr. Ben-Gvier's living room. Mr. Ben-Gvier has clearly defined his vision of policing. He has proposed new rules of engagement with potential perpetrators of violence. Police and security forces would be authorized to shoot on sight anyone they spot holding a rock or a molotov cocktail. If that person hates Israel, a definition to be applied to Palestinians rather than Israeli Jews. In other words, Mr. Vir's reforms were likely to reinforce rather than tackle racism in police ranks and the police's failure to address crime in Israeli-Palestinian communities that is spiraling out of control. Mr. Tibor, the journalist, noted that Mr. Ben-Gvir was pushing a law in parliament that would make him the de facto commissioner of police rather than just the politician responsible for law enforcement. This means that a man with a rich past as a suspect and defendant will have the final say on criminal investigations and indictments. Israel's attorney general issued a rare public warning against the legislation, but Netanyahu and his allies couldn't care less, Mr. Tibor said. For a majority of Jews, Mr. Netanyahu's swing to the right amounts to turning Israel into a Jewish state that emphasizes relationships with far-right groups irrespective of their attitudes towards Jews rather than with Jewish communities regardless of their political leanings. Former director of the Anti-Defamation League Abe Foxman warned that if Israel ceases to be an open democracy, I won't be able to support it. If Israel becomes a fundamentalist religious state, a theocratic nationalism state, it will cut Israel off from 70% of world Jewry, who won't qualify into their definition of who is a Jew. I never thought I would reach that point where I would say that my support of Israel is conditional. I've always said that my support is unconditional, but it's conditional. I don't need to tell you how politically and strategically American Jewry is critical as a cement to the relationship between the two countries. And therefore it is critical that this new government not do damage to relationships, not tamper with Israel's democracy, its institutions, its legal systems, its civil rights of Arab minorities, not tamper with the law of return and the status of Christians and Muslims, Mr. Foxman added. Mr. Foxman was voicing a more deeply rooted rot in Israel's relationship to Diaspora Jewry, particularly Jews in the United States, who together with Israeli Jews, account for 80% of Jews worldwide. The rot dates to the days before the creation of the Jewish state. It stems from a sense of superiority among those who immigrated or made Aliyah, the Hebrew word for ascent or going up to Israel, or were born in Palestine, Israel. Israeli Jews perceived diaspora Jewry as sheep, who in World War II allowed themselves to be led to the Nazis' gas chambers, as opposed to muscular Israelis, who respond to threats and attacks with a sledgehammer. Many Jews embraced the notion of the muscular Jew, and the Israeli political, scientific, and military successes it produced, even if they disagreed with how that translated into policy towards the Palestinians. A.D. Gordon, an influential Ukrainian-born 19th and early 20th century labor Zionist thinker, described Jews as a parasitic people, not only in an economic sense, but in spirit in thought, in poetry, in literature, and in our virtues, our ideals, our higher human aspirations, because they had no roots in Jewish soil. Similarly, A.B. Yehoshua, widely seen as one of Israel's greatest writers, echoed revisionist Zionist ideologue Zev Jabotinsky when he dismissed American Jews as playing with Jewishness unlike Israelis for whom Judaism was part of their daily life. Eric Alterman, author of We Are Not One, a history of America's fight over Israel, a recently published book, noted that the painful truth for American Jews is that while they have tended to worship Israeli Jews, their cousins have historically returned this feeling with a combination of amusement and contempt. To be sure, Israel remains a central plank of American Jewish identity. Some 80% of respondents in a 2021 Pew Research Center study said Israel was an essential or substantial part of what being Jewish means to them. However, 27% between the ages of 18 and 29 said Israel was not an essential part of their Jewish identity. 51% said they felt little or no connection with Israel. Nevertheless, the divergence in perspectives on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the rise of an Israeli far-right that feels more comfortable with ideologically like-minded forces, irrespective of their attitude towards Jews, Rather than with Jews, no matter their worldview, highlights the ultimate failure of Zionism. Rather than creating Israel as a haven for Jews, Zionism has produced the 13th Jewish tribe, with aspirations of its own that differ from those of its Jewish brethren elsewhere. In a fictional Thanksgiving epistle, Alon Pinkas. A former Israeli consul general in New York cautioned American Jews that, as you must have agonizingly realized by now, Israel no longer cares about you. You served your purpose, as we did for you, and now Israel isn't interested in you. In Benjamin Netanyahu's Israel, you've become obsolete. You've outlived your usefulness. You've exhausted the goodwill. Mr. Pinkas went on to say that Israeli Jewish society and culture and American Jewish society and culture have evolved so differently that you can no longer cover it up with pro-Israel and fundraising platitudes. The majority of evangelical Christians will replace the vast majority of American Jews. Since it's all about numbers, the evangelicals are the preferred ally. When Netanyahu reversed course and aligned Israel with the right wing of the Republican Party, it was a clear message to most American Jews. He essentially said, I can do without you. I choose to ignore you. My political considerations with the ultra-Orthodox and my affinity with the far-right greatly override your interests and concerns. Similarly, American Jewish fundraisers expect it will be increasingly difficult to persuade skeptics to open their wallets to support Israel. I'm worried this new government is going to take steps that will bring American Jews to the point where they ask, why even bother with Israel? What's the use? It's a racist place and they don't respect our form of Judaism. Why should we give any of them anything, said Larry Katz, a Rhode Island-based fundraiser who prides himself on a stellar record in convincing critics of Israel to open their producted books for causes in the Jewish state that speak to their values. In an early shot across the bow, several hundred rabbis and cantors signed an open letter entitled, A Call to Action for Clergy in Protest of Israeli Government Extremists that calls for a Jewish community boycott of far-right members of the Netanyahu government. When those who tout racism and bigotry claim to speak in the name of Israel, but deny our rights, our heritage, and the rights of the most vulnerable among us, we must take action," the letter read. The divide between Israel and American Jewry will likely widen with the potential hollowing out of Israeli democracy by Mr. Netanyahu's far-right coalition. The prime minister's partners want the Knesset, the Israeli parliament to adopt an override clause that would give the smallest possible majority of 61 seats in the assembly the power to overrule Supreme Court decisions. The clause, if legislated, would grant unchecked power to the government with no mechanism to balance it or place limits on its choices. Moreover, moves to limit eligibility for Jewish immigration to Israel and citizenship envisioned by Mr. Netanyahu's partners could further exasperate Israeli Jewish diaspora relations. To do so, the religious parties want the Knesset to cancel the grandchild clause in the law of return, which governs eligibility for immigration and automatic citizenship. Removal of the provision would disqualify people with only one Jewish grandparent and endorse only individuals with at least one Jewish parent. The law would affect an estimated 3 million diaspora Jews, most of whom live in the United States. Moreover, Mr. Ben-Gvir, the national security minister, also wants to withdraw recognition of converts to Judaism, whose conversion was performed by reform or conservative rabbis in Israel in a vaguely defined recognized Jewish community rather than abroad. A majority of American Jews adhere to reform and conservative rather than Orthodox Judaism. Adding fuel to the fire, Mr. Netanyahu appointed far-right homophobic Noam party leader Avi Maoz as a deputy prime minister in charge of forging a national Jewish identity and defining Jewish values. Mr. Maoz is a disciple of Rabbi Tzvi Tau, a nationalist cleric who believes that progressive ideologues are destroying Israel's Jewish character and subverting family values. Mr. Maoz will supervise some 8,000 extracurricular educational programs in thousands of secular schools. These includes life skills classes, and courses on religion, the Bible, Jewish culture, identity and thought, army preparation, and human rights. Mr. Mao said on the eve of his appointment that there are currently 3,000 educational programs written by progressive far-left NGOs, funded by foreign foundations and the European Union. Are they there to strengthen the Jewish state? Of course not. They want to make Israel a state like all states. Who will make sure that Jewish identity programs be written instead of state of all its citizens programs? That's my job. A proponent of the normative family who views sexually and gender diverse people as perverts, pedophiles and freaks Mr. Maus has railed against supporting transgender youth and Israel's ban on conversion therapy. He has also targeted the rights of reformed Jews and an alleged foreign-backed postmodernist deep state that supposedly controls the judiciary and the education ministry and undermines Jewish wars. Furthermore, Mr. Maus has advocated restricting the rights of women whose greatest contribution is to marry and raise an honorable family. Mr. Netanyahu hopes that his likely appointment as foreign minister of Amir Ohana, the only openly gay lawmaker in the 64 seat pro Netanyahu parliamentary bloc, will serve as a fig leaf for diehard supporters of the Jewish state who desperately want evidence that the Netanyahu government won't destroy Israel's democracy. It's a gesture that is unlikely to persuade a majority of American Jews or Democrats. Former Israeli Diaspora Affairs Minister Nachman Shai warned that Mr. Netanyahu's alliances would be a strategic mistake second to none. The American Jewish community has always been our bridge to the U.S. administration. Moves like this could cause that bridge to become very shaky. Shortly after Mr. Netanyahu won a sixth term as prime minister in the November 2022 elections, Brooklyn rabbi Ra- Rachel Timona cautioned in a Sabbath service that the polls have brought in the most racist, and farthest right leadership Israel has ever seen. Comparing the Israeli swing to the right to similar trends in the United States, Italy, Sweden, and Hungary, Mrs. Timona noted that periodically, a kind of authoritarian nationalist fascist insanity grips many countries in the world simultaneously. Similarly, Rabbi Rolando Matalon, told his community on Manhattan's Upper West Side that Jewish power was a racist Jewish supremacist party that promoted hateful and violent ideas. In a separate interview, Mr. Matalon added, my most dominant emotion is fear. I'm afraid about the erosion of what was a liberal democracy, democratic values, of the judicial system. Mr. Netanyahu's turn to the right calls into question the status of Israel as a haven for Jews at a time when some American Jews have begun to ask whether they still have a future in a United States in which anti-Semitism has been mainstreamed. Alvin Rosenfeld, director of the Institute of the Study of Contemporary Antisemitism at Indiana University warned that hostility to Jews in both word and deed is now a growing presence within the public sphere and has been moving from the fringes where it has long existed into the mainstream. Mr. Rosenfeld argued that rising hostility was fueled by an amalgam of Christian antisemitism and militant white nationalism to deeply hostile anti-Jewish ideologies into racially and religiously inspired white supremacist Christian neo-nationalism. The Anti-Defamation League an Anti-Hate Group focused on protecting Jewish communities counted 2,717 anti-Semitic incidents in the United States in 2021 up 30% from 2020, and the highest number in its records dating to 1979. Attacks and threats at synagogues, including the Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh, which killed 11 people in 2018, and a hostage standoff during Sabbath services in 2022 in Colleyville, Texas, have added to the sense of insecurity. In November, 2022, the Federal Bureau of Investigation issued a broad warning of security threats to New Jersey synagogues, and later arrested a man in connection with the matter. That same month, FBI Director Christopher Wray testified to Congress that American Jews account for 2.4% of the US population, but were the target of about 63% of religious hate crimes. Anti-Semitism and violence that comes out of it is a persistent and present act, he said. The rise of anti-Semitism contrasts starkly with the pro-Jewish sentiment expressed by Americans in opinion polls a 2019 pew poll showed that americans like jews more than any other religious group even so Yazar hess deputy chairman of the world zionist organization warned that the impact of the israeli election result on the diaspora jewry could be devastating perhaps even fatal There are precedents for Israel either joining the Christian nationalist and Republican fray or looking the other way when anti-Semitism is in play. Mr. Netanyahu had no compunction about acting hand-in-hand with the American right and Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who campaigned with anti-Semitic overtones against George Soros, the Hungarian-born American Jewish billionaire and philanthropist. Mr. Netanyahu also remained silent about Mr. Orban's rewriting of Hungary's World War II history, which included rehabilitating anti-Semitic, pro-Nazi wartime figures as anti-communist icons. Mm -hmm. Mr. Netanyahu's willingness to opportunistically back a tainted attack on someone of Jewish descent because of a political disagreement raises tantalizing questions about how we will deal with, for example, Sweden's new government that a party with roots in neo-Nazism supports. The Sweden Democrats who helped the country's new conservative government secure a majority in parliament without being rewarded with cabinet representation have insisted that the party has put its past behind it. But in September 2022, Rebecca Fallenqvist, the 26-year-old head of the party's television programming, called Anna Frank immoral and horniness itself in an Instagram post that was later deleted. Mrs. Frank was an acclaimed Dutch Jewess who documented in a diary life in hiding under Nazi persecution until the Germans killed her in 1944. Days later, Mrs. Falkenquist celebrated her party's electoral success in Swedish with the words Helgseger, which means weekend victory, but sounds like Sieg Heil, the Nazi greeting. The party quickly moved Mrs. Falkenquist from her publicly visible job to its administrative office in Parliament. Likely to play a role in the mechanics of the Sweden Democrats' parliamentary support for the new conservative government. Israel's ambassador to Sweden, Ziv Nevo condemned Mrs. Svellingkrist's remarks. He warned that unfortunately there are many more bad weeds that must be uprooted. It was unclear if he was referring to the Sweden Democrats or anti-Semitism in general. There is little indication that Mr. Kulman's condemnation will have political consequences. Two months later, members of Mr. Netanyahu's Likud party attended a conference hosted by the Alliance for the Union of Romanians. This anti-Semitic political party denies the Holocaust and dreams of returning Romania to its glorious past during World War II when it collaborated with, the Nazi, with Nazi Germany. The Israeli embassy in Bucharest has refused to deal with the alliance. Michael Kleiner, the head of Likud's internal court and a former member of parliament, defended the party members' engagement with the Romanian group. I checked the whole issue myself. I visited Romania three months ago and met with representatives of the party. AUR is a conservative party that advocates family values, tradition, social equality of opportunity, and above all, the fight against corruption. I am convinced that they are not anti-Semitic. The claims against them are a blood libel and we Jews know what a blood libel means, Mr. Kleiner said. Responding to Likud's engagement, Efraim Zuroff, Director General of the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Jerusalem, took Mr. Netanyahu's party and past government to task for legitimizing anti-Semitic parties and organizations and Holocaust deniers. Mr. Zuroff said, this is a process that has lasted for years in which Israel's governments and its official political institutions are prepared in the name of security or diplomatic interests or others to turn a blind eye to the disgrace. Pointing the finger at Mr. Netanyahu, Mr. Zurov asserted that the prime minister had embraced right-wing leaders in Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, Lithuania, and other countries and turns a blind eye to the fact that they rely on radical right-wing parties with anti-Semitic roots. Mr. Netanyahu did speak out when a Polish law made it illegal to accuse the Polish nation or state of complicity in Nazi German crimes. Nevertheless, the Israeli reluctance takes on added significance given that Christian nationalism is no longer a fringe movement within the Republican Party. On the contrary, a recent poll suggested that a majority of Republicans believe that the United States should break with its constitutionally mandated secularism to declare itself a Christian nation. Christian nationalists will be prominent in the next US Congress. The Republicans' Christian nationalist sentiment contrasts starkly with other results of the poll that show show that more than 60% of Americans favor religious pluralism and oppose the United States identifying itself as a Christian nation. In contrast to a majority of Americans, Israel's problem is not Christian nationalism as such, but the anti Semitism of many of its proponents. One Israeli litmus test may be what happens if Christian nationalists are flagged in a proposed joint Israeli European project that would monitor anti Semitism on social networks as part of a global coalition against anti Semitism? Shuli Davidovich, the head of the Israeli Foreign Ministry's Bureau for World Jewish Affairs and World Religions, said that we are not necessarily speaking about a structural coalition with defined criteria and a legal framework. We would rather unite all interested parties in a looser coalition committed to the same values of battling anti-Semitism in all its forms. Even so... Israel may find it increasingly difficult to reconcile the Jewish state's raison d'etre as the protector of Jews and a safe haven with giving a pass to a Republican party that tolerates anti-Semitic expression. American Jewish leaders raised alarm bells about rising anti-Semitism long before the U.S. midterm elections in November, 2022. And responded to its mainstreaming in the pre-poll electioneering. It is disgraceful. Shame on you, America. You let it grow in this Petri dish, said Rabbi Jeffrey Myers. There is a moral decay occurring in the body of America. Antisemitism is just the beginning. It moves beyond anti-Semitism to cover other minority groups. In 2018, Mr. Myers led services at his Pittsburgh synagogue when a white nationalist gunman burst in and murdered 11 Jewish worshipers in the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in US history. If the leaders are not explicit and right out front against anti-Semitism, it can grow, warned former Senator John Lieberman the first Jewish candidate on a vice presidential ticket. American Jewish Congress President Jack Rosen noted that on the right, we don't see the kind of leadership it's going to take to stop the growth of this kind of anti-Semitic hatred. The number of anti-Semitic atta- incidents has only increased since the Pittsburgh attack. They included assault by a gunman on a synagogue in Poway, California, a town some 32 kilometers north of San Diego, a shooting at a kosher grocery store in New Jersey, anti-Semitic comments from public figures, such as Mr. Trump and members of Congress and conspiracy theories related to the Pittsburgh shooting itself. Mr. Trump repeatedly drew a vociferous backlash for remarks perceived as anti-Semitic, including his assertion that some American Jews did not love Israel enough, and that Jews who vote for Democrats were disloyal. In the run up to the 2022 midterm elections, Mr. Trump charged that American Jews had heaped insufficient praise on his policies towards Israel and warned that they need to get their act together before it's too late. Rather than taking to task Mr. Yi, a rapper previously known as Kanye West, who threatened he would go death on con three on Jewish people. Mr. Trump invited him for dinner at the former president's Florida resort, days before he launched his 2024 presidential election campaign. He was really nice to me, Mr. Trump said. Mr. Trump used the opportunity to contrast Jews unfavorably to our wonderful evangelicals. Mr. Trump also had no compunction about entertaining Mr. Yee's companion, Nick Fuentes, a 24-year-old pro-Russian trafficker in Holocaust denial and white supremacist. Echoing the kind of supremacism advocated by Mr. Netanyahu's coalition partners, Mr. Fuentes asserted after the dinner that Jews have too much power in our society. Christians should have all the power, everyone else very little. Meanwhile, Mr. Yi's campaign manager, Milo Yiannopoulos, announced that we're done putting Jewish interests first. In early 2022, Republican leaders, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, took to task Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene, two members of the House Republican Conference, for speaking at a conference organized by Mr. Fuentes. But that is unlikely to stop a Republican speaker from giving them important House commitment assignments when the assembly reconvenes with a Republican majority in January 2023, on the back of the midterm elections. Similarly, Mr. Trump's Senate nominee, Herschel Walker, refused to reject a show of support for Mr. Yi. Others favored by the former president, like Mehmoud Öz and Doug Mastriano, also failed to distance themselves from the rapper. Earlier, Mr. Walker defended one of his fundraisers who featured an image of a swastika with syringes attached to it on her Twitter profile. Left with little choice, Mr. Netanyahu gently urged Mr. Trump to condemn Messieurs Yi and Fuentes. He praised the former president for the great things he did for Israel, including recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital and Israeli sovereignty over the occupied Golan Heights. And withdrawing from the 2015 Iran nuclear agreement. I hope he sees his way to stand out of it and condemn it, Mr. Netanyahu said. Referring to the dinner, Mr. Netanyahu added that Mr. Trump probably understands that it crosses a line. Following in the footsteps of Mr. Trump and Hungarian Prime Minister Orban, the Republican Party in Georgia invoked in its campaign in support of Mr. Walker tirades laced with anti-Semitism against Mr. Soros, the liberal Hungarian-born American Jewish billionaire. No one does Soros's bidding better than Mr. Walker's Democratic opponent, Senator Raphael Warnock, who has been a perfect puppet for Soros's left-wing agenda the Republicans charged in the electoral campaign that Mr. Walker ultimately lost. For his part, Mr. Mastriano paid $5,000 for campaign consulting to the far-right West website Gab on which the perpetrator of the Pittsburgh attack had posted anti-Semitic creeds before his assault on the synagogue. Mr. Mastriano unsettled Jews on both sides of the political aisle with his ties to extremists and comments about his Democratic rival, Josh Shapiro. In addition, Mr. Mastriano's advice asserted during the midterm election campaign that she and her husband probably love Israel more than a lot of Jews do. Republican candidate Ellie Crane encouraged his audience on a campaign stop in Casa Grande, Arizona, to watch a speech by a right-wing pastor who blamed cultural change on German Jewish philosophers. Mr. Crane warned, if we don't wake up, if we don't study what they are doing and have the courage to call it out, we're going to lose this country. In a lengthy editorial, the New York Times cautioned, that Mr. Trump and his political allies have helped bring explicitly white supremacist ideas like the great replacement into mainstream politics and popular culture. Some on the far right have asserted that Jews, including Soros, enabled the great replacement, the racist belief that secretive forces are importing non-white people to dilute countries' white majorities. Extremists driven to murder are a tiny fraction of those who subscribe to racist ideologies. But the mainstreaming of their ideas can make the turn to violence easier for some. That's why it's alarming to see the great replacement idea espoused by political leaders around the globe. It has been cited approvingly by Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary and darling of some American conservatives. Tucker Carlson of Fox News talks about it often, the editorial said. A 2022 Associated Press NORC poll found that about one in three American adults believes that a group of people is trying to replace native-born Americans with immigrants for electoral gains. Compounding the potentially brewing crisis, between a majority of American Jews, Israel, and the Christian right, is a battle for the soul of Christianity in the United States, between those that want to firewall it against racism, and those who openly advocate a white supremacist, racist, and anti-Semitic definition of the faith. At the core of the battle is a scandal-ridden, best-selling book The Case for Christian Nationalism, authored by reformed theologian and recent Princeton postdoctoral fellow, Stephen Wolfe. Mr. Wolfe's claim to academic rigor was called into question by his ties to racists, like his podcast co-host, Thomas Archford, and the author's rejection of interracial marriage, description of Blacks, as reliable sources for criminality, and suggestion that heretics and non-Christians should face banishment, prison, or death in his imagined Christian nation. Scholar Bradley Onishi, author of a just published book entitled, Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next, said, what is scary about this whole affair is that Wolf's book is already being used in seminary papers and sermons across the country to justify an anti-American, anti-democratic, ethno-nationalist Christianity that is now mainstream in the United States. This is no longer a fringe theology and that should scare us all. Yet for men like Mr. Trump, Mr. Netanyahu and Josh Mandel, a far-right Republican Jewish politician who uses Christian imagery to tout Judeo-Christian values and campaigned with a picture of an American flag waving in front of a church steeple topped by a cross. It's not about theology, it's about politics. To them, scholars Andrew Whithead and Samuel Perry's definition of Christian nationalism as a political theology that fuses American identity with an ultra-conservative strain of Christianity, an ethnic Christianism. It's a nail on the head. Study after study shows Christian nationalism is strongly associated with attitudes concerning proper social hierarchies by religion, race, and nativity, the scholar said. That is what allows conservative and right-wing Jews like Mr. Mandel to remain associated with a party that at the very least, increasingly tolerates anti-Semitism. Rabbi Avram Bronstein, whose congregation is on New York's Long Island, noted that if Christian nationalism is really about white supremacy, then it follows that Mandel can be seen as Christian despite his Jewish lineage and observance. This is what he means by Judeo-Christian, a term he uses largely in opposition to what he calls radical Islam. How Israel responds to anti-Semitism, particularly in the ranks of Christian nationalists and the Republican party could put further daylight between Israel and segments of the Jewish community Particularly if Israel continues to give onerous Christian nationalist attitudes a pass, or even worse, supports the community despite its anti Semitic facets. Prominent Jewish public intellectual Peter Beinart said that the way that Trump has talked by associating Jews with money, by creating a far right base for anti Semitism, and by making Israel a kind of model to the ethno state that Trump wants to support in the United States and therefore using that to turn that against Jews, I think these are all ways in which Trump has actually made various strands of anti-Semitism much more mainstream, has amplified them. Concern about the rise of Christian nationalism was bolstered by the right wing's assault on the notion of minority rights. Christian nationalists backed by a sympathetic Supreme Court have begun to dismantle the separation between church and state. Colorado Republican House representative member Lauren Bubert echoed the assault by describing minority rights as junk that's not in the Constitution and asserting that the church is supposed to direct the government. At the same time, Republican governed states abetted by the Supreme Court are rolling back minority voting rights and decades of civil rights prosecutions. The rise in anti Semitic Christian nationalism, coupled with anti Israeli sentiment turning anti Semitic on the left, has sparked debate among American Jews about whether the time has come to consider emigration from the United States. International affairs scholar, Daniel Dresner conceded that I don't really think that I will ever have to choose between my Jewish faith and my US citizenship. But the last few years and month have chipped away at that confidence ever so li- slightly. Just feeling that smidgen of doubt smaller than what is no doubt felt by more marginalized groups, is going to weigh on me for a good long while. Wondering where Jews might move is among the most frequently asked questions that I get, said Jonathan Greenblatt, head of the Anti-Defamation League. Incidents of anti-Semitic harassment vandalism and assault nearly tripled between 2015 and 2021, the ADL reports, and it says 2022 attacks are on a pace with last year's record level. Jews account for 2% of the American population, but are targets of 55% of reported religiously motivated hate crimes in the United States. Focus on Western Islamism, a far-right website published by Daniel Pipes, the president of the Middle East Forum, a Philadelphia-based think tank that supports the Israeli hard right, has asserted that Republicans and evangelicals had teamed up with alleged Islamists in America's culture wars. The unstated implication is that such an alliance would strengthen anti-Jewish sentiment on the right commenting on a recent protest by conservative Muslims and Christians against the presence of books with allegedly sexually explicit content in public schools in Dearborn, Michigan, an Arab American heartland. Matthew DePerno, the Republican candidate who lost the midterm election for the state's attorney general, acknowledged that you probably are seeing a shift in the Republican party Muslim and Christian leaders hailed the protest as conservatives uniting against liberals and leftists and abandoning what was long alleged to be a red-green alliance between Islamists and the left, a reference to Democrats. Sam Westrup, the director of the forum's Islamist Watch, lamented that the Muslim Christian protest in Dearborn was not an isolated incident Increasingly the rights approach to Islam and Islamism is changing, Mr. Westerop said. Mr. Westerop's colleague, Benjamin Baird, director of the forum's Islamism in Politics project, noted that Republicans and Muslim communities share similar priorities in wanting a strong economy, minimal government involvement in their lives, religious freedom, and their children raised with conservative moral values that contrast the liberalism of a majority of Jews. Mr. Baird's analysis echoed in remarks and writings of Islamic scholars. Preacher, theologian, and Imam Abu Ammar Yasir Qadi tweeted Conservative Christians and Jews need to understand that Muslims are their allies in wanting a pure, and morally upright society. Similarly, Zaytun College Islamic law scholar, Abdullah bin Hamid al-Ali, asserted in a lengthy paper that Trump was the lesser of evils as far as Muslims are concerned. The California-based college's president, Hamza Yusuf, is a prominent American Muslim leader and scholar a member of the UAE's Supreme Fatwa Council, and one of the main propagators of the Emirates' autocratic form of moderate Islam. Controversially, Mr. Yusuf was a member of the Trump administration's commission on unalienable rights. Conservatives across faith may agree on traditional values, but that hardly justifies opportunistic associations with bigotry and prejudice, whether against Jews, Muslims, or others. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Also, thank you to all who have demonstrated their appreciation for my column by becoming paid subscribers. This allows me to ensure that it continues to have maximum impact Maintaining free distribution means that news websites, blogs, and newsletters across the globe can republish it. If you are able and willing to support the column, please become a paid subscriber by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Or support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mideast Soccer. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Thank you. Season's greetings and best wishes for the new year.